This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this Friday afternoon, uh, heading into another weekend, uh, the end of the Christmas season for sure. Well, our producer, Dave Williams, uh, recently brought to my attention because he comes in from time to time and he says, you know, I've got an idea. What do you think of this? Anyway, he recently brought to my attention that yesterday was National Bird Day. Well, Dave and I have a, a mutual interest in birds and bird life. Uh, he's uh, he's an outdoorsy kind of guy who spends a lot of time taking in the natural wonders around him. And when you think about it, the most common wild creature we typically encounter, and it's almost continual, are birds. I challenge you right now to look out your window and not see some kind of a bird, whether it's a, a gull or a crow or a pigeon or a junco. And if you don't see it right away, give it a minute and you'll see some kind of a bird. Well, Newfoundland and Labrador is in a very unique geographical position. We see a lot of strays blown in on the wind from the far north, from the far south, even from across the vast Atlantic Ocean and places beyond. I thought this might be a good time to check in with one of this province's leading bird experts, Jared Clark of Bird the Rock. Hello. Hi, Linda. So how would you categorize 2022 in terms of uh, birding? Uh, it was it was a great year, especially locally here in Newfoundland for birding. I mean, we had some absolutely wonderful weather. I think if you look at 2022 from a, a point of view of weather it was a fantastic year to be getting out we had a great summer and a really great fall so it was uh, it was a great time to get out and enjoy the outdoors uh, which I did as much as I could and uh, we had lots of fun highlights in the birding world here we did indeed and I'm going to touch on that in a minute but there's nothing I mean even for uh, you know the the staunchest of uh, enthusiasts uh, you know you might be a little reluctant to go out on those uh, rain drizzle and fog days especially if they start to stretch out a bit yeah absolutely you know but uh, but as as somebody who sort of watches the weather and watches birds, um, there are lots of neat relationships between between weather and birds. And even those those sort of drizzly dark days, like we had recently for quite a, a stretch, sometimes are related to interesting things happening in the birding world. So there's always an excuse to to get out and and, and go exploring. Well, I guess the big bird news in the last year was about a big bird, the stellar sea eagle. Where did that come from and where is it now? Yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, where is it now is a little bit of a question. But, um, yeah, we were very fortunate this summer to have a prolonged visit from the stellar sea eagle. Um, it was seen a number of places throughout the province, um, you know, from about April through August. Um, but most importantly, it spent several weeks um, in the Trinity area. Uh, and was 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 there reliably? So lots of birders, both locally um, and even birders who came in from outside the province, got a chance to to see this really really cool bird. Um, and it's cool for a number of reasons. It's cool because um, it's just an absolutely amazing bird. It's it's so big. It's much larger actually than our bald eagle. Uh, it's really striking looking with these beautiful big white wing patches and this almost ridiculously large yellow beak. Um, so it's a really really cool bird to get to see. Um, but it's also way off course it normally lives in russia korea northern japan so that part of asia 
Uh, and it's only been seen in North America a handful of times. But this particular bird, from what we can tell, um, was first seen in Alaska, which sort of makes sense. It shows up there occasionally, uh, much closer to Japan than Newfoundland is, um, back in August of 2020. Um, was there for a few days. Then presumably the same bird was seen in Texas, which is absolutely ridiculous if you think about it. Um, in March of 2021, it eventually made its way northeast to um, Quebec, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Massachusetts, Maine, was spotted for a number of months throughout that area. And then it, it suddenly showed up in Newfoundland, which uh, is about as far away as you can imagine from from Japan, so it was uh, what an honor to be able to, to to play host to this really cool bird and, and to be able to actually get to see it right in, in our own home province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Quite literally, on the exact opposite side of the world, mm-hmm, from absolutely, where it belongs. Yeah. yeah, so that was absolutely the most, uh, probably the most exciting um, thing in the birding world locally in 2022. It's like you said, it's captured the attention of people all over the world. I noticed that National Geographic has even been tracking it. Yeah, this bird is, you know, it's it's had articles written about it in some of the big American newspapers, the Washington Post, the New York Times. Um, there are Facebook fan pages just for this specific bird because it's it's really captured the attention, not just of birders, but of lots of nature enthusiasts throughout North America. And people are sort of tracking its travels. And it was most recently seen, it disappeared um, from Trinity in, in, at the end of August. There were a couple of intriguing but sort of unconfirmed sightings around southern and southwestern Newfoundland in the next few weeks. And then it was seen last month just for a few days in New Brunswick. So we know it's now left the island. Um, and perhaps it's going to follow the same path it did last year. It spent the winter in, in Maine. Um, so who knows where it's going to show up next. But uh, that would be my guess. And it appears to be doing well. Obviously, it's finding things to feed on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it really is. A, it's a, it is a sea eagle, as the name implies. So they specialize in... in feeding on fish um, so that's why it's been seen uh, almost entirely in coastal areas so that you know Trinity Bay the coast of Maine lots of places where where fish seem to be abundant and uh, it seems to be doing quite well and of course um, Newfoundland and Labrador and even Maine for that matter not too far removed from the kind of conditions it would live in in northern Japan or the Kamchatka Peninsula but to Texas yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a that was a real weird one. It, you know, it was only seen one time, photographed by some folks, but undeniably it was a stellar sea eagle, and we assume it must be the same bird um, that eventually showed up here in the in the northeast. Um, so it was definitely on a world tour. Um, but I, I think, like you've said, it, it sort of found um, conditions that are much more home-like for it here um, in in northeastern North America, and hopefully it's uh, it's going to stay for a few more years and maybe make this this. Uh, sort of migration back and forth between Maine, Atlantic Canada, and maybe Newfoundland, and maybe we'll see it again next summer. Um, any idea what may have knocked it so far off its normal track? No idea, to be honest. You know, uh, sometimes birds just get it in their heads to wander, whether it's a little bit of a, of a defect in their in their brain and, and they migrate the wrong direction, whatever. But this one, uh, you know, it, it obviously crossed over and ended from Japan and ended up in Alaska. And I guess maybe then it sort of it, it started its, its southerly migration like it would normally do, just on the wrong side of the ocean. And once it realized it was lost, I guess it started exploring, looking for for something that that reminded it of its of home. It's it's, it's hard to know what 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 goes on in these uh, in, in the bird brains when they start to to wander like that. But it is pretty amazing. 
And the, the local bald eagles, as you said, I mean, I can't imagine anything bigger than a bald eagle, really, because they're, they are massive, massive birds. But this is substantially bigger than a bald eagle. They must have been all looking at this thing going, what the heck are you? <laughs> yeah, the, the big new kid on the block, for sure. <laughs> so that was the the big, big news. But I want to ask you about a few other things because you're a little more involved in the uh, community than uh, most. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a little bit more about some other strange or unusual sightings of late when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is Jared Clark of Bird the Rock. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And our guest today on On Target is Jared Clark of Bird the Rock. And uh, I forgot to ask you, Jared, did you get to see our uh, little Russian or Japanese friend? <laughs> I did, actually. It was um, I was a little bit afraid that I wasn't. What most folks were able to do, fortunately, is um, most folks were able to jump on one of the, the several boat tours that were leaving out of Trinity. Um, so some of those, those, those boat tour companies were making special trips with birders to actually see the eagle because it was in a bay just south of the town of Trinity. Um, unfortunately, I was just getting prepared to head off to lead a tour in New Brunswick, and I, I didn't have enough time to sort of organize one of those, but I did manage to, to sneak out there, and I found a trail that actually hiked out to the bay. So I was able to hike out there, set up with my scope, and waited out, and I eventually saw the eagle um, from land. So I, I got to see it a little differently than most folks, but it was uh, still a very exciting experience. Was it everything you had hoped it would be? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I ended up having to wait about two hours. So, of course, I was pretty nervous that it wasn't going to show up and, and all that. So, it, you know, maybe that made it a little sweeter when it actually did just appear out of nowhere sitting in the trees across the bay. I, uh, I'm sure they heard, they heard my whoops of, of joy, um, you know, two or three towns over. I was, I was pretty excited. It was a, it was an, a pretty cool experience for sure. Immediate, immediately recognizable to you, or were you like, could, could that be a bald eagle? What is that? You know, I, I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be when when I when I eventually saw it. But when I looked across the bay, I saw these this bird sitting in a treetop with these big white patches, and there was just no mistaking. I didn't even have my binoculars up before I knew what it was going to be. It was uh, it was very recognizable. Any other strange or unusual sightings in twenty twenty two? Yeah, so it's been, a, it, as I said, it was a really good year for, for birding in, in the province. Um, back in the spring, as I mentioned earlier, we, we did have a, a little stretch of sort of that, that dark gray, drizzly weather in April. Um, and what happened is we were getting persistent northeasterly winds. And in this case, those winds were, were coming right across the Atlantic Ocean. So um, a number of birds that would normally have been migrating from places like Ireland to their breeding grounds in Iceland, Greenland, so these European birds actually got caught up in the winds and delivered right to our coast here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So uh, it started in, in early April with a northern lapwing, which occurs occasionally in Newfoundland, but is pretty rare in North America. So that was an exciting find just in the Goulds, uh, just outside St. John's. Um, but then sort of um, things really started to, to ramp up when some barnacle geese, which is a, a really rare European geese, uh, two flocks of them showed up in Newfoundland. Um, in the Bonavista area and down in uh, Portugal Cove South near Cape Race. Um, European golden plovers showed up at the same time, some black-tailed goblets, so all these really neat European birds that are really rarely seen on this side of the Atlantic um, were sort of all showing up at the same time. And then a few days later, a brambling, which is a, a small finch, a European finch, was spotted at a feeder in Renews. 
Um, and that was the first time one has ever been seen in, in the province. So this, this sort of big rash of European birds um, in the spring was really, really exciting. So that was, that was probably one of the, the big highlights of the year, for sure. Uh, could it be the barnacle geese that we can thank for avian flu? I've seen some people sort of pointing their fingers in that direction. Um, we do know that, that one of the first places this, this avian flu was seen in Europe was in barnacle geese. Um, but no, these barnacle geese showed up um, well after avian flu was first detected um, in Newfoundland. So they, they certainly didn't bring it here. <laughs> And I'm going to get into avian flu uh, in a few minutes, but um, uh, I'm also noticing uh, some people putting pictures out there of cardinals, more cardinals showing up. Yeah, there have been several this year. It's it's a bird that we don't get to see very often in Newfoundland and Labrador, but they are um, becoming more and more common in other parts of Atlantic Canada. So they're a fairly common feature now in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, whereas 20 years ago they weren't um so i think it's expected that we're going to start to see a few more as they're expanding their range in newfoundland so it's still a very exciting bird to see um here for sure and no questioning what they are they're very distinctive and very showy yeah absolutely which is why i think they get noticed by by people who uh we see them in their backyards and take their pictures and put them up on social media and uh, and we get to hear about them is the relatively mild and snowless weather uh, we've been encountering here on the island so far good or bad for birds? I, I mean, it's certainly good for any lingering birds that, that should be gone further south that are still here and are managing to, to make a go of it in, in our relatively easy winter so far. But, uh, you know, I, I think any any sort of big changes to our climate are not good to birds. Um, so, you know, I, I'm always happier to see winter as it should be. When the weather turns, and you know it will turn, um, will that uh, have an impact? Will it trap or endanger some southern strays? Yeah, it may. You know, there are there are certainly a few birds hanging around, you know, the province right now that we know about um, that are birds that should have headed south, uh, you know, a number of weeks ago. And once the weather turns good and cold, I think they're going to have a hard time making it through. Um, but I think that's to be expected, and it happens every year. Um, but there are lots of birds that, that live in our forest that uh, that are used to our winter weather and sort of depend on it. So you look at the Canada jays, for example. One of the things that's been happening to Canada jays right across Canada, and we know Canada jay as they used to be called gray jay, whiskey jack, a very familiar bird to most people. Uh, one of the things that, that the climate change has been doing to them is um, they stash food. So they, they scavenge meat from carcasses. They store it in the tree for all winter. Um, and then the cold weather freezes that, so the food is available right through the winter and into the spring. But with our continually more mild falls, um, the meat that they're storing isn't freezing, it's rotting, and it's, and they're having trouble finding enough food to get them through the winters. So there are birds that certainly um, are not doing as well because of the, the warming climate that we've been seeing in recent years. That's amazing. and I mean, they're so commonplace. I think a lot of people right away can um, picture encounters they've had with uh, gray jays, very gregarious birds. Um, mm. uh, surprising to hear that, uh, you know, the weather is having that, that profound an impact on them. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, the, and their, their populations have been declining sort of in the, the southern fringes of their range. So if you look in Ontario, other parts of Canada, where the, at the very southern edge of the boreal forest where, where Canada jays are living, we've they've been seeing, you know, declines in their populations. And that's almost certainly because of the warming weather we're having. Should we be feeding birds when there's no snow cover? 
I don't, I don't think there's any harm in feeding the birds once the temperatures dip down low enough. Um, so I've certainly been feeding birds uh, since about mid-November. Um, and, and really the reason that we, we don't tend to feed birds in the summer is because there are certain pathogens that can be spread amongst birds that can survive in the warmer weather but not the colder weather. So once we consistently get temperatures down into the low single digits, I think it's pretty safe to start feeding birds again. And of course, we got these um, sub-zero temperatures now, so we should be good to go, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what kinds of things should we be putting out there if we want to feed our feathered friends? Um, well, I, I usually stick with, with three main things. I, I put out a, a mixture of millet and black oil sunflower seed, um, which are the two main types of seed that uh, that most of our birds will go for. Um, you can buy a lot of mixed seeds, you know, in in the grocery stores and your in your at your Walmart, your Canadian Tires. You want to make sure though that it doesn't have a lot of corn or other filler in it, because that ends up just going to waste. A lot of the birds don't eat it; it falls to the ground. Sometimes it attracts rodents. Um, but you can the main two are to make sure that what you're buying has a lot of millet and black oil sunflower seed. There's another type of um, seed called Niger seed. It's these really this really fine black seed that the finches really love. And of course, I always put out suet in the winter time. It's a very high energy food that a lot of birds um, really like, and it really helps them get through the the colder weather. Is there a way to home? <laughs> um, I don't know, home do it. Like I, I, I was thinking in terms of uh, berries, for instance. Um, there was an abundance of dogberries. Not this past summer. I had a miserable year for dogberries. I think a lot of people did. But uh, the year before, my goodness, our dogberry trees were absolutely laden. They were all over the place, and so I was picking them up off the ground so the dog wouldn't eat them. And I said, this might make good food for the birds later on. So I froze it. Still in the freezer now. Is that a good thing to put out? You know, a lot of people do that. They collect berries in the in the fall and they freeze them to put out for the birds later in the season. And that's really important for some of our, our fructivores, our, our birds that depend or rely on berries. So things like cedar waxwings, bohemian, bohemian waxwings, any robins that sort of stick around through the winter. Um, this year, there have been very few of those. And I think it's it's just like you said, it's been a very poor year for dogberry crops across the province. So most of those berry-eating birds, somehow they, they know when it's not going to be a good crop and they've headed um, further south or further afield. And we've, I've seen very few of the berry eating birds around, but uh, if you do happen to see any in your neighborhood and you have some, some berries hid away in your freezer, it's uh, it certainly doesn't hurt to put them out. I got some noisy blue jays. What do they like? Peanuts. Yeah. Blue jays absolutely love peanuts. So if you want to keep your noisy blue jays in your backyard, put some peanuts out there. And annoy the neighbors. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> is there a, there's there a way to feed birds without uh, you know attracting and feeding other things? If you know what I'm saying. Um, and there are certain certain feeders that you can buy um, that are better at at reducing spill to the ground. Uh, if you want to have um, avoid attracting any rodents to your backyard, uh, you can also buy trays. I I used to. I haven't been this year. Uh, I had a, a fairly round tray that I actually hung from a chain under my feeder. So that caught most of the seed that spilled from the feeder, you know, as the birds are messy eaters. Um, so it landed on the tray, and then the birds had a second chance to eat it uh, rather than letting it get to the ground. Um, so there are a number of, of of ways that we can prevent spill from the ground, which should help 
um, reduce attracting rodents. Um, and then there are special feeders that you can buy as well that have sort of cages around them, those kinds of things that help keep um, squirrels from getting at your feeders. Um, it can keep pigeons off your feeders if you want to keep pigeons out of your backyard. So there are all kinds of neat, neat gadgety things you can buy for your feeders to, to reduce feeding the unwanted visitors. And there are other um, visitors, some of them wanted, some of them unwanted, who uh, might see this as a bit of a different type of smorgasbord, if you will. Uh, I'm thinking in terms of cats or even foxes, for that matter. How can you set up a bird feeder to uh, to protect the birds? It, it's a little bit hard to do. I mean, the, the most important thing is if you if you own a cat is to make sure you, you keep it indoors. They are. They should be indoor um critters but um you know obviously we know that there are lots of cats roaming our neighborhoods um one of the things that's important to do is to set your feeders up somewhere in your yard close to 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 the shelter of trees or bushes so that the the birds have a, a fairly quick and easy way to get from the feeder to the shelter or protection of of some of that of, of a bush or a tree uh, so setting the feeder up right in the middle of your backyard is actually not good for the for the birds uh, so make sure your feeder is set up somewhere with with some safety um, nearby and away from windows so I, I try to make sure my feeders are well back in my backyard close to the trees rather than close to the house where there's a chance that uh, they're either going to get predated on by by a cat or they're going to strike a window which is also another issue in lots of cases so what type of birds typically um, frequent bird feeders? You know, there, there are quite a lot. Um, most of what's visiting my feeders these days are, are juncos and chickadees. Um, they're probably our, our most common backyard visitors this time of year. Um, but I also have three northern flickers. That's a, it's a very large woodpecker a lot of people are, are familiar with. They, they love the suet. So if you put suet out, you're, you'll often attract um, flickers and other types of woodpeckers to your backyard. They all they all love those those suet feeders um, and finches. A lot of the finches, so the American goldfinch, uh, purple finch, crossbills will often come to feeders, especially if you put out that Niger seed, which they really really like. And does it tend to attract uh, predatory birds as well? Do you tend to see those kind of starting to congregate, looking for <laughs> leftovers, so to speak? There, there are a couple of, of predatory birds that uh, that specialize in hunting other small birds. Mainly in Newfoundland, it's the uh, the sharp-shinned hawk. It's a small hawk, uh, so they're commonly seen in neighborhoods and backyards, especially where where there are feeders. Um, so yeah, so if you have a feeder up, you keep an eye out. You often do see a sharp-shinned hawk, but the, you know they have to eat too. So it's uh, I, I don't worry too much when I when I see one in my backyard. Our guest today on On Target is Jared Clark of Bird the Rock. And I guess, uh, uh, you know, aside from the stellar sea eagle, one of the big stories in 2022, of course, was avian flu. And I was going to ask you a little bit about that when we come back after the break, right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Our guest today is Jared Clark of Bird the Rock. And uh, I guess the big... One of the big headlines of 2022, of course, was avian flu. We started to notice that, uh, oh my goodness, it's almost two years ago now. And uh, boy, you didn't have to go very far to notice the impacts. I know myself, uh, I didn't have to go very far afield before I started to notice, uh, you know, the, a few gannets up on the beach and those kinds of things. Uh, what kind of an impact has it had? Yeah, this is definitely one of the, the, the big sad stories uh, from 2022 in the in the the nature world was the avian flu and it's had a, a pretty severe impact 
um, on our province, but uh, most noticeably on the, the seabird populations. Um, avian flu is a, is a virus. It spreads much the way that viruses spread in humans. Um, so if you've ever seen one of these seabird colonies like Cape St. Mary's or the Whitless Bay Ecological Reserve, uh, you know how tightly packed the birds are during the breeding season. So it's not hard to imagine that the virus spread, um, you know, incredibly fast through some of those populations. So, if, um, you know, I was visiting, for example, Cape St. Mary's pretty regularly throughout the summer. And it was, you know, every visit you'd start to see more and more either, you know, birds missing from the colony, the population was getting lower, or birds dead and dying in the colony. And certainly anybody who's who was frequenting beaches this summer, um, it was it was very sad to see all of the, the huge numbers of dead and dying birds that were washing up uh, washing up on beaches around the province. Um, so we know that it's had a, a significant impact on our breeding seabirds this summer. We don't really, I don't think we'll really fully realize the impact um, for another year or two as we start to see, you know, the birds returning after the season. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's certainly been deadly. Um, we it, it's, it's harder to detect in other types of birds like our our songbirds, those kinds of things, it's harder to see. It's much easier to see in these big seabird uh, colonies. So we, we don't fully understand, I don't think yet, what the impact has been. And, of course, it's the seabirds that hit the hardest because, of you said, this this uh, tendency to, to colonize, especially when they're nesting, uh, because that was, I guess, over time, evolution has told them that that's the way you keep your, your young protected from uh, predators, but it's made them more vulnerable to the spread of illness. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we know for sure that thousands and thousands and thousands of gannets and murres and, and certainly some puffins, though they may have been a little more protected because of their the fact that they sort of burrow away from each other. They, they're not sitting out on the open cliffs next next to their neighbors the same. Uh, but we know we know that all of these seabirds have been impacted very heavily. And uh, I guess it'll it'll sort of the, the proof will be in the pudding to see sort of how things start to look over the next couple of years. What do we know about the evolution of these kinds of things when they develop in certain colonies? Uh, does it um, tend to stay, um, like the impacts continue to stay uh, strong, or does it eventually sort of dissipate a bit? Well, what what we're, we're hoping, of course, is that at the end of the breeding season, all of these birds sort of head off to the open ocean. Um, so, you know, they sort of have their own, if you want to think of it as social distancing, they, they sort of have their own social distancing. Once the breeding season is over, they spread it, they spread it on the ocean. They're not next to their neighbors as much anymore. Um, so hopefully there will be a lot less spread of the disease during these winter months. Um, so it'll have a chance to sort of work itself out of the population. The other thing that we sort of know about the avian flu is that it's very fatal. So pretty much every bird that catches it is unfortunately going to die of it. Um, but if you think about that over the winter situation when birds are spread out, hopefully it, it, it'll mean that all of the birds that are that are successfully returning this spring will be disease free. So, you know, we're we're hoping. We certainly don't know how it's going to look this spring, but we're hoping that the, it's going to be a, a much better season with a lot less avian flu in our colonies. Can the birds build up an immunity? I mean, I, I think they can. I think it would take several, you know, several years, several generations of the birds for the immunity to be built up. Um, but certain, but certainly they, they could. Cape St. Mary's, of course, uh, 
very much uh, a tourism draw. Is that having an impact um, in in terms of tourism? Are are tours still bringing people out there because of this? I mean, necessarily people don't want to go and see kind of devastation, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely hard as a, as a as a tour leader and a tour operator. It was difficult this summer to sort of um, you know to to take people out there, and especially later in the summer season as the effect of the, the flu was becoming more evident at the colony. Um, it was hard to point that out to people, but I took it as an opportunity to sort of to talk about to talk about it and, and to educate people about about avian diseases and and, and those cycles in nature. Um, so we were we were still visiting all summer long. They didn't close the reserves. There was no um, there was really no danger to people at that point. Um, so we we did continue to visit, but it was definitely a uh, uh, added a, a certain sad component to an otherwise um, amazing spectacle. So uh, yeah, you mentioned the tourism, of course, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But in, uh, when it comes to things like you said, Cape St. Mary's, do you find that the type of um, a visitor that you attract uh, are tend to be a little more, you know, open to the realities of nature, if you will? You know, some people are a little bit removed from that and and get very easily, um, you know. I don't know, upset by those kinds of things. And it is upsetting, no no doubt. But uh, do you find that the people that you take to these places are a little more, ah, this is how this works. And this is, these are the effects of these things. And, you know, they learn from the experience? I think so, yeah. I think most people, most people who, who travel with me during the summer are, you know, have been traveling and exploring nature for a number of years, if not their whole lifetime, and have experienced lots of of you know the sadder parts of nature, whether it's you know you know hunter prey relationships, all those kinds of things. Um, so I think there is a certain openness and a certain understanding that these kinds of things do happen in nature, um, but it, it certainly it doesn't make it any less sad and more difficult to to see it in real life. So arguably, this past summer, I suppose, was the most normal we've seen prior to the pandemic. And you're a tourism operator. You took a little hiatus uh, during the pandemic to sort of regroup, so to speak. Are, are you starting to see bookings going up again? How how has your business changed? Yeah. So, I mean, and certainly 2020 and 2021 were almost non-existent. You know, there was very little travel in and out of the province because of all the COVID restrictions. Um, and there was the worry that that, you know, travel was going to be reduced even for the next few years as as travelers started to get their confidence back. But we did see a fantastic year um, in tourism in 2022. Um, as I think most anybody who was out and about in Newfoundland would have noticed that, that there were lots of tourists about. It was a, it was a, a really great year and I was very busy. Um, I hosted more than 120 visitors this summer uh, doing exploring, um, you know, nature all over the, the province. Um, so it was. It was an it was an excellent year and, and very exciting after two years of not seeing anybody um, to have such a successful uh, year. And already this year is starting to look um, pretty exciting, and, and I think it's going to be a another busy one. So where do the birders come from? I know a lot of tourism opera- operations in Newfoundland and Labrador attract or see a lot of people from Ontario, for instance, and a lot of people from Alberta, naturally. Um, but who tends to be the birding type of uh, tourist? I think in most ways it's pretty similar. You know, the majority of the the folks that I get to travel with during the summer across the province are, are the majority are other Canadians coming from from Ontario and, and Western Canada. Um, they come to explore Newfoundland in general. Some of them, 
a few days of, of looking for birds is just a part of a more general trip. There are some who come here who are uh, specifically traveling here for the, for birds and nature. Um, there are some Americans. They tend to be the minority, although this year there was there were a lot of Americans. And I think what was happening is that um, we saw a bump in American visitors, in my experience, throughout all of Canada this year because a lot of Americans who otherwise might have traveled internationally this first year sort of coming out of the COVID pandemic they didn't feel as confident to be traveling internationally. So a lot of Americans came to Canada um, as opposed to, you know, to going to Europe and, or traveling to South America. So we did see a lot of Americans this year, more than usual um, visiting. Um, we get the occasional Europeans, people from other places, but the majority of, of our visitors are, are Canadians. Is there potential there to spread your wings, so to speak? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think Newfoundland as a, as a birding destination for birding vacations and nature exploring is just growing and growing. There's a lot of potential. It's uh, it's certainly getting on the uh, on the bucket list of a lot more people. Um, lot, lots of Canadians, of course, you know, love the idea of coming and seeing Newfoundland and exploring the nature here. But uh, we're working very hard to put it to, to put Newfoundland on the map for a lot of American tourists as well. So I think we're going to to see uh, an increase in the number of people who are visiting from other countries um, to Newfoundland and Labrador to experience the incredible nature that we have uh, have to offer. Our guest today on On Target is Jared Clark of Bird the Rock. We'll be back right after this. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is uh, Jared Clark of Bird the Rock, and we were talking about some of the highlights, I suppose, of, of the last year. And we spoke about the stellar sea eagle and, of course, avian flu. But climate change has dominated headlines all over the world. Are, are you seeing the impacts? Uh, yes. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's climate change. is not something that's easy to sort of measure anecdotally because there's always some variation in weather. Um, but certainly we're seeing changes in the, in the, in the bird world. We're seeing a lot of species that are, that are changing their distribution, that are seeing population declines because of climate change. Um, and, and if you spend enough time observing nature, I, I don't think that, that, that you can miss it. Um, and, and as you indicated earlier, uh, birds tend to be the harbingers, aren't they? Yeah, very much the, the, the canary in the coal mine, for uh, for lack, <laughs> lack of a better term. Um, birds are often, because birds live in every habitat, there are so many of them, um, they're so um, responsive to changes in weather systems and climate that they really are one of the best ways that we have of sort of seeing the early effects of long-term climate change. And there's lots of important research going on um, using the bird populations across the boreal forests of, Newfound- of uh, Canada that are uh, really reflective of some of the, uh, the serious changes that are happening in our world right now. As you take uh, people around, and uh, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while now, and uh, you you notice a lot of things. Anything in particular concerning to you? Uh, what are some of the, I guess, the uh, leading uh, impacts on birds here in Newfoundland and Labrador? Well, I mean, there are certainly lots of things that we can see that are changing. We don't necess- we don't always know how they're impacting the birds. But for example, this summer. And I think a lot of people would have noticed this is is that our ocean temperatures around the coast of Newfoundland hit record high levels. So late this summer, early this fall, the ocean temperatures on the south coast of Newfoundland were higher than have ever been recorded before. Um, so we know that you know through obviously through just simply measuring 
the uh, the ocean temperatures, but we also saw that reflected in some things that were happening in the bird world. So, for example, off the southern Avalon this year, we were seeing dozens and dozens of quarry shearwater, which is um, uh, related to some of the shearwaters that we typically see in Newfoundland, but tends to favor warmer water, waters. Pretty rare to ever see one from land in Newfoundland, and this fall we were seeing dozens of them. Um, right right along the coast down there, following the warmer water up. Um, lots of ocean sunfish, um, for example, in our waters these days that are, that are sort of increasing in number. So they're all following these warming waters. So we certainly know that the changes in open ocean temperatures that are going along with climate change um, are having some impacts on the bird world. We don't necessarily know whether they're all negative or all positive, but there are certainly things going on that we can observe um, simply by paying attention. And I know uh, whales aren't your <laughs> aren't part of your specific gig, but uh, you are an observer of whales, and you got to witness yourself a northern right whale. Um, no, I didn't get to see the northern right oh, whale. Oh, I thought you I know, did. I, I, you or was it the sperm whales that you saw? I did see some sperm whales, yeah, and and they're always fun and exciting to see. Um, but I do uh, I missed that northern right whale at Cape Spear by just a couple of hours, actually, unfortunately. But several northern right whales were seen in Newfoundland waters this year, and again, that's something that that's not typically, um, at least in recent years, hasn't typically been here. And whether they're responding to to changes in ocean temperatures as well, we it's is something that's that's left to be figured out. Well, hopefully it's good for them uh, because uh, we don't have as uh, much of that heavy traffic, I suppose, that you see in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it might be a safer area for them compared just to the, where they're regularly hanging out. So in terms of tourism, and you started to get back uh, in the swing of things this past season, uh, what's the coming season looking like so far? Um, it's looking exciting, actually. In, in, in fact, tomorrow, just tomorrow, I have my first group of the year arriving, um, and I'll be leading tours for 23 days over the next four weeks. So believe it or not, there are people who come and visit Newfoundland in the dead of January uh, to see some of our, of our very cool birds. I think winter is one of our best-kept secrets. So I've got a busy month ahead of leading tours, um, and I'm, I've already started advertising my schedule for this summer and, and starting to see bookings rolling in. So I expect it's going to be a, a very fun and very exciting tourism season ahead. That is exciting. Um, so what, are they, what do guests typically look for in the winter months? Um, you know, one of the things is, is, is uh, if you know anything about birders and birding, it's sort of collecting. Uh, people sort of check these birds off their list. And there are quite a few birds that you can see in Newfoundland in winter um, that are difficult to see anywhere else in North America. A lot of northern birds that consider Newfoundland to be south. Um, so, for example, the dovekey, known locally as the bullbird, a relative of the puffin, is, is a species that breeds in Greenland and only comes to the coast of, New- of um, North America in the winter. Um, so that's one that usually every, everybody who visits here in January wants to see. Purple sandpipers, our thick-billed myrrhs, bohemian waxwings, some of our resident birds like um, the willow ptarmigan and, and boreal chickadee are easier to see here than they are most anywhere else in North America. So there's a whole bunch of things that are that are on full display here during the winter months that are exciting for visitors from all across the rest of North America. And do their stays tend to be that long? Or is that, you know, if if you're a collector, so to speak, is that what you want, that extended, so you get that time? Um, you know, this, so these, this is a number of groups I'll be leading over the course of the next four weeks. Um, this first group arriving tomorrow is uh, traveling with a, an international tour company called Wings. They'll be here for a week. 
Um, and then I've got some folks coming in who are staying for, for four or five days uh, each. Um, and then I've got another week-long tour at the end. So uh, typically in this time of year, people are going to be coming um, for anywhere between the four, to, four to seven days. Um, and that's usually enough as long as the weather uh, doesn't hold us up um, to see most of the things that they want to see. And one of the nice things about summer, about winter is that you can see most of those things within a few hours of St. John's. So unlike in the summer when tours tend to sort of hop around in the province, we can sort of base ourselves out of St. John's and, and just go exploring here in the, uh, the eastern Avalon and see most of the, uh, the, the popular winter birds. What are some of your favorite um, spots? Some of my favorite spots, I, I love to get uh, down into to the Cape Race area this time of year because you have those incredible coastal scenes, all the cliffs. You have the tundra where we find cool birds like uh, like willow ptarmigan and short-eared owls sometimes during the winter, snowy owls some winters. Um, so I really like to get sort of down into that sort of those sort of coastal tundra areas, um, probably one of my most favorite places to go birding this time of year. Such a haunting landscape too. Absolutely, yeah. It's just uh, it's it's almost surreal to get down there and 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 to go exploring what looks like we call them barrens in Newfoundland. But if you really get out there and explore them, they're absolutely full of life. So barren is, is sort of a misnomer. <laughs> no, but it gives it also gives you that time to reflect and be, you know, with yourself. If you know what I mean. Yeah, there's absolutely no better place to sort of go and 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 get your head on straight and to uh, to enjoy that that those incredible ocean views which are just so calming so the winter season is looking pretty busy for you uh, and things shaping up well for the summer now yeah so bookings are just starting to roll in this is uh, the next couple of months are generally tend to be when most people are, are making their, their travel plans for the summer so i expect that uh, i've already started to see a few bookings rolling in the last few days since new year's and uh, i expect it'll continue now for the next few few weeks and I'll be getting each and every booking that comes in I get more and more excited for the for the summer season ahead well it sounds like we got you at exactly the right time because you'd be too busy to talk to us elsewhere or otherwise um, and I know just before pandemic you and I had a lengthy conversation with Destination St. John's and the like you were forming all these new partnerships and of course the pandemic hit then and sort of put all that on the back burner how are you doing with uh, you know building some of those relationships well, you know, great in some ways. It's certainly been, uh, you know, it's exciting. I, I think that and I'm a firm believer that when one door closes, another door opens. Um, and I think that as, as rough as the pandemic was on tourism, um, it sort of has, has, has shone a little bit of a spotlight on Newfoundland and Labrador as being a place that people want to visit because it's it doesn't have crowds of people. It has lots of wide open nature to explore. Um, so I, I think Newfoundland and Labrador is only going to become more popular as a destination for visitors, whether it's to come and explore nature, to come and explore culture and history. So there's been lots of opportunities from a, a nature tourism point of view to sort of form more connections across the province and, and create lots of neat partnerships. Um, it was a little bit rough in that we have seen some people who who've played roles in the the tourism industry have to drop out because of all the hardships of COVID. Um, so I think we do have some rebuilding to do ahead, but uh, I, I think the, the future is, is bright. And uh, I know the term is used uh, very often, almost so often that we sort of lose track of what it means exactly, but you're one of the many, many tourism ambassadors in this province uh, who really helped to showcase and highlight uh, how wonderful this uh, little uh, special corner of the world happens to be. Um, Jared Clark, all the best to you now in the weeks ahead. Uh, Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure as always. And we'll be back on Monday. Do stay tuned for that. We're going to be talking about health care yet again. Uh, stay tuned. You're going to want to hear this one. Uh, and uh, have a great and safe and happy weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening.